Welcome to the second hour of the Tom Dupree Show. Joining us this week is a Darsh Meshru and our host, Tom Dupree. Our conversation starter today is we're seeing the impact of inflation. Question is, how will the economy absorb all of the inflation? Over to you, Tom. All right. So this song came out in 1985, which I don't know. Would you not? say that 1985 was sort of the high point of MTV? No, it wasn't the high point. I would say that's when it just launched. No, no, it was hardcore going way before that. I know it was big in 1980. I don't know. Yeah, it was. Because I remember, but my, I'm going to tell myself, but my senior year in college was 85, 86, and that was, it was all the rage then. Up to that point, well, I don't remember a thing it about it. Real popular. She came out, and it was a lot of a different sound than the, some of the other groups of that time. That was, <laughs> I remember everything in terms of interest rates. So in 1985, I think you could still get close to a 10% yield on long-term municipals. Okay. Citigroup says oil should be around $70 as demand drops and recession looms. Now, okay, there's a big mem out there among the big central bankers that we're getting ready to have, you know, bad times ahead. Jamie Dimon is out there very strong saying, you know, this is not going to end well. A lot of people are saying that. this a, It's sort of a meme that they're all pushing, and it's like they want it to happen. So City comes out now. We're going to see oil at $70. Okay. So it's like everybody's long the 30 year. I don't, I don't know what's going on. They're all short maybe, but, uh, if you got oil down to $70, quite frankly, I don't think gasoline's going back to three bucks a gallon because there's a bottleneck with the refineries. You would have to see not only a drop in the demand for oil, 
but a drop in the demand for uh, refined petroleum products, including diesel, uh, gasoline. You, you, you have to begin to see you know, more being produced than what's being used. And so, uh, of course, you know, the average person out there thinks that we're going to $8 gasoline because they always extrapolate what's happened recently. You know, well, this time it's really going to happen. You know, we're going to see $8 gasoline. I mean, uh, downtown LA diesels at nine bucks. I saw that thing today it, it, somebody took a picture of it but you know i just kind of think that at some point uh what's always happened in the past is that high prices beget low prices and low prices beget high prices right so i mean what's interesting is uh since you know we, uh we had covid uh the pandemic really uh, about two years ago now and uh the economy went into a deep recession and then it came back. Uh, and typically at this point, you know, in the economic cycle, you would expect inflation to start picking up because activity is increasing and, you know, people are going, getting uh, employed again. But what has happened is that in, instead of inflation just gradually picking up, it's just shot up, you know, unlike anything we've seen since uh, the 70s and early 80s. Um, so now uh, central bankers, you know, business decision makers, they are all uh, in a difficult uh, spot. They're trying to figure out if this level of inflation is something that can, will eventually moderate and the economy will just hum along. Uh, or, you know, the only way to arrest this kind of inflation is through, you know, by raising interest rates above the rate of inflation, which is what they've done historically, although we are not there anywhere close to that yet. Uh, so if that's the case, you know, when we last saw this in the early 80s, when Paul Walker was uh, the chairman of the Fed, interest rates were raised above the rate of inflation. And the outcome was that inflation started dropping, but the economy also went into a recession as a result, uh, which uh, has always been the case when inflation is this high. So, um, uh, Janet Yellen just came out recently. She's the head of the Treasury. She was squawking about, oh, we all miscalculated. It's like they're all out there admitting they were wrong. Right. So what good does that do? You know, okay, you were wrong. How are we going to fix it? Right, right. So uh, normally, you know, when prices go up, so the initial reaction is people, you know, they start trying to purchase things ahead of time, which we saw uh, businesses were stocking up on inventory. But there comes a point where prices are just too high uh, and uh, demand just drops off. So are we getting to that point or is the economy strong uh, or strong enough to absorb, you know, a slightly higher uh uh, amount of inflation uh, and uh, you know eventually as the supply chain issues moderate or as if commodity prices drop then uh, you know will things go back to uh, what you would expect at this point in the uh, in the recovery what's happening to households are they still buying stuff but now they're putting it on their credit card and and taking on personal debt in order to do it i mean 
is that going on? Are we seeing credit card balances begin to move up? Or and I haven't seen that number. I don't know what's going on with that. Or are they just spending every penny they make on the basic cost of living? So households going into this, you know, extremely high inflation, households uh, were in excellent shape. Uh, you know, their balance sheets weren't stretched. Uh, we have seen some data that shows that credit card and loan uh, defaults are increasing, but still not enough to, uh, you know, cause alarm. Uh, but uh, so far, uh, and really this rapid uptick has just happened over the last few months so it remains to be seen if there is some sort of a uh, you know a cut in household budgets or if they end up borrowing you know to pay for uh, things uh, one of the positives uh, i guess from a household point of view is that wages have also gone up uh, have they gone up enough to keep up with inflation uh, that that we'll have to see as the you know data comes out, but if I would say the answer is no, right. So if no, it, right, right. They're going to so, have to start cutting. You know, things will get cut. I mean, uh, we were on a call with a with a uh, a utility today. You know, they're they're seventy percent of their base load generation is natural gas. Well. This time last year, I think it was around between three and four dollars right. per thousand cubic feet. Today it's eight to eight to nine, so that's a double, maybe more than a double. That all gets passed through to the uh, ratepayers, but and so they say, well, that's not you know, we get to pass through our fuel costs, sure, but their utility bill is still higher, right. and they're going to be saying. We can't afford to leave our uh, uh, lights on. Right. So we, we'll probably start seeing uh, more and more of, of uh, you know, that, that behavior where people start uh, cutting back. Um, and ultimately, the question is that, you know, d- does this result in uh, a recession? And uh, what happens to the stock market? So when we see what happened, you know, the S&P basically from... It's high dropped 20%, which is the technical definition of a bear market. Although it did not stay there, it started bouncing back. Um, Since the financial crisis, except for the drop during COVID, which was a quick 35% drop and the market recovered uh, very quickly in just a few months, uh, we haven't seen drops of more than 20% in the S&P 500. In 2011, we saw a drop close to 20%. In 2018, close to 20%, similar to what we just saw. Right. And then the market rebounded. The difference this time uh, is that inflation is pretty high compared to any of those previous periods. And does that result in, um, you know, just a slowdown in economic activity? Um, so certain areas, you know, uh, the, the market, the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones is just a broad index, you know, when you look at individual stocks or individual sectors, there are certain areas that are doing better than others. Right. Commodities, uh, natural resource stocks, of course, oil and gas stocks. Uh, they are actually, oil and gas stocks are making new all-time highs today. Uh, oil refining stocks are making new all-time highs. So it, it depends on how uh, an investor is uh, allocated, but just the broad indexes, there's tremendous weakness in that 
weakness has been uh, led by tech where tech stocks have just you know some of them the smaller ones have dropped significantly and the larger ones uh you know something like amazon dropped uh, 38% from its high yeah but uh, it's not completely tech so it, that's retail not, yes. also right it, it although is. i would argue that the uh cloud stuff is pure tech yeah the cloud stuff is tech uh you know when you look at stocks that are uh what you call your software as a service companies that's pure tech some of them drop 70% uh when you look at your fintech companies your paypal square they dropped over 70% so we've seen a lot of damage in the market the indexes have hidden that uh so the question is has the market already priced in the worst case scenario at this point or uh you know is there is there more to go uh the best way you know uh to deal with that of course it doesn't make uh it's never any good to uh panic because the flip side you know whenever the market drops the positive of that it doesn't feel pleasant but there are usually a lot of opportunities that it it presents and uh, historically bear markets tend to last uh much uh don't last as long as you know bull markets do so um, as long as portfolios are uh you know well diversified there's you know both stocks uh bonds in the portfolio some amount of cash perhaps bonds have not been the best place either uh eventually there will be some uh, good opportunities okay one of the articles you threw in there labor costs the key driver of us inflation Revised sharply higher. This is Greg Robb with Market Watch. Unit labor costs, a key measure of U.S. wage inflation, were revised up to a 12.6% gain in the first quarter from the initial estimate of 11.6. Over the past year, labor costs are up 8.2%. Uh, so, and now we're seeing a drop in productivity. So we're seeing, uh, at least temporarily, in the uh, in the wage area, um, a revision upwards. Now, um, I kind of think <laughs> that there was so much money printed and dumped into the economy in things that we've never done, PPP loans that people didn't have to pay back, that kind of thing, that we had this big wealth transfer. Uh, from money that got given to people by the government away from savers and people holding dollars. And so that's the inflation that I think we're seeing. I don't believe yet that uh, it's embedded inflation in the system. I do believe that we still have things going on in the economy that are disinflationary. Uh, we have things that are increasing productivity. I mean, look at a company like Airbnb. My gosh, it takes houses and converts them into income in a way that's never been done before. Uh, during the um, during the uh, pandemic, DoorDash. It gave a lot of. They can complain about how much the DoorDash or the Uber Eats driver takes, but 
That was one of their biggest sources of success. It's the reason why a lot of restaurants are still open because of the business that it gave them during the pandemic. You know, without DoorDash, without Uber Eats, you would not have had uh, these restaurants getting the kind of orders that they got. And so there are, because of technology, massive productivity increasing and disinflationary forces at work. I think, and I could be wrong, but I think that what we're experiencing right now is sort of a monetary inflation as a result of two things during the pandemic. Number one, a dumping of lots of cash into an economy that was not being productive at the time. And people went out and bought stuff. And now we're seeing the pent-up demand going from a non-productive economy back to a productive economy of people going out and buying things that they weren't buying during the pandemic. You couple those two things, you're getting... This is where I actually do agree with the Biden administration, although they're now admitting or thinking that it's wrong. I think they're wrong in that I do still believe it's transitory. Now, it may not be as quickly transitory as they thought it was going to be, but right now we're getting kind of a blow-off going on. Oil prices are going up again a lot. But it has the feeling of a blow-off. Like, okay, you know, it's going to hit the wall. That's my sense. Yes, I mean, th there are two ways, I guess, to think about it. Uh, you know, if, if you look at an extremely long period, you know, if you look at a 100-year period, then inflation always exists. The dollar 100 years ago is worth 90% perhaps of what it was worth then, and it'll be worth 90% less, you know, if you have even 3%. It's only worth 10% of it. Yeah, yes. <clears throat> so... Um, from that point of view, inflation is just, you know, an on ongoing thing. Now, the sort of inflation that we've seen recently is similar to what was experienced in the 70s, where prices just rise uh, at a much faster pace where, you know, it takes time for people to adjust to it. It takes time, time for businesses to uh, adjust to it. It takes time for uh, wages to adjust to it and it's uncomfortable where all of a sudden you know your rent goes up by 20 percent or uh, your gas bill doubles so um, eventually that rate you know which has been extremely rapid that will slow down there's no doubt because as you mentioned you know there are a lot of uh, technological uh changes that have taken place that enhance productivity and that are disinflationary in nature. Uh, I mean, even something like Zoom, you know, if you, you don't have to fly, you can just maybe have a meeting uh, on Zoom and a lot of businesses are doing that. Uh, so um, these are all disinflationary. Um, the inflation that we've seen in commodities is what you would call supply side inflation where there was just so much underinvestment in oil and gas in other commodities the, due to regulation due to just what happened in the last decade where there was a lot of capital that went into oil and gas and companies just focused on increasing production because prices were high and today companies are more focused on improving cash flow so uh, you're not seeing 
the sort of supply come on, you know, to uh, offset this increase in demand and lower uh, prices. So that could potentially last longer because historically we've seen commodity cycles last longer than just a few months or a year because it does take time. So if if we are going to build electric cars, then you need all these raw materials that go into building an electric car. And where is the supply going to come from? It's, it, you know, it, it cannot come online right away. So that could take time. But commodities as an input cost uh, in most products are a very small percentage. So right. you could have higher commodity prices and lower consumer prices. It, both are possible. Yeah, it's it's sort of hard to uh, sometimes it's hard to gauge what's what's what. What are the inputs? Right, and you know, even though oil prices are high today, uh, r- compared to the seventies, um, cars today are extremely efficient. Uh, people don't have to drive as much. A lot of people uh, telecommute and work from home. Right, um, go ahead. And, uh, you know, there, there are these efficiencies which w- did not exist a few decades ago. So perhaps, you know, the economy will be able to absorb slightly higher commodity prices. Sorry, Darsh. Tom and I are struggling with our technology over here. He lets his cell phone go off and I come and blast Darsh out of his last sentence. Sorry about that. You're listening to the Tom oh. Dupree Show with the Darsh Meshru. <laughs> Sorry. We'll be back that. in just a I few minutes. I thought what he was saying was Stay tuned. fairly profound, so we can pick it up.
Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show. Joining us this week, Adarsh Meshru and our host, Tom Dupree. And in all fairness, at the end of the last segment, he was getting this very song ready for me to play. So, <laughs> bailing well, you out there, unfa- buddy. What was unfair? <laughs> okay. I called you out for having an outburst. <laughs> Well, I don't always do real well with technology myself. And hence why okay. I'm running the board. Now, this is an article from... Uh, this Who's this? Of course, Who's the music? This is Little Feet and what's left of the band. And I guess there are some original members. They're touring again. Why not? Money's a lot better this time around. Okay. This is an article from uh, uh, the uh, Wall Street Journal, Summer Said in Dubai, and Dion Nissenbaum. Oh, and Benoit Falcon in London, and Dion Nissenbaum in Washington. Wall Street Journal. Saudi oil boost, Yemen truce, set stage for Biden visit to kingdom. The partners known as OPEC Plus plan a bigger-than-expected production increase of 648000 barrels a day in july and august let me ask you a question adarsh do you think that's kind of the blow off it's in other words they're seeing this and they're saying you know we don't see prices going a lot higher we'll start selling more of it into this expensive market which would tell me that they kind of feel like you know we better go ahead and get this price while we can because it may go lower i mean and and I don't think they can really be – people are saying, oh, they're responding to pressure. What pressure? How do we have any leverage with OPEC Plus, really? I mean, you know, so what? Yeah, we're their friends. Great. That doesn't mean we can tell them when to sell oil just because we need it. They're going to sell oil when they think it's to their economic benefit. So if I'm a seller, I want to get the best price – and if I don't think that price is going to continue or go higher, I'm going to sell now. Doesn't that make sense? It, it does, yes. So, uh, and yeah, I, I think that is some some of what they're doing. I don't know if they themselves know if you know what oil prices are going to do. So, if you go back a few years, the narrative was that oil prices have already peaked, and uh, you know prices are going to remain low and that they, they did remain low for a long time they remained under 100 for a long um, number of years um and at that point uh the saudis decided to list uh their main oil company aramco in the market and that was a way for them right. to monetize their uh oil assets but um this you know 648000 barrels a day is is still not high enough to uh you know make a significant dent uh in the supply picture are they doing this because they're trying to increase their uh you know revenue i, I think yes that is that is feasible um i don't know why they wouldn't do even more uh so maybe they're trying to maintain a balance where they don't want prices to drop too much they want prices to remain at these levels um but every day there's 100 million barrels of oil that are produced. Uh, and uh, 
the biggest player, one of the biggest players is Russia, which produces almost 11% of the daily oil production and consumption. Uh, and Russia is, you know, they are still producing uh, as much, but their production could decline. So the question is, you know, how much of this is going to offset that or will it even offset that? And if it doesn't, then, you know, prices could uh, stay elevated for a while. Right. Uh, it's all <laughs> supply and demand, really. Exactly, yes. Um, and, you know, there's crude oil and then there's also natural gas, you know, and Russia is also a big producer of natural gas. And, you know, Europe especially, uh, they are in... Uh, you know, a very tough spot because they had the opportunity which some would, you know, say that this was a miscalculation or, you know, people were just asleep at the wheel. They knew for, they've always known that they are heavily reliant on Russian oil and gas. Then I don't know why they weren't more proactive to diversify their, you know, sources of oil, gas or, you know, come up with other alternatives i guess they were slow or i don't know if you know this could have been prevented but now they're at a point where uh their economies are perhaps already in a recession or very close to a recession because oil and gas prices are so high and uh, it's hurting them so this you know commodity especially oil and gas is also a major national security and energy security issue. So I think this period, this, you know, event where, you know, the the war between Russia and Ukraine, I think this is an inflection point uh, as far as how countries think about, you know, where they source uh, their energy from and, uh, you know, the importance of uh, oil and gas. The con- well, one thing that happened... You can't think, you can't forget about it. May of 2020, oil prices effectively went to zero. Now, they weren't really zero, but for a little bit, they were. The oil demand dropped through. So what that did to the oil industry in shutting in wells, we're still recovering from it because uh, it, it basically crimped supply in a big way. It took shale and the Permian kind of out of the equation. Those jobs are coming back, but not as quickly. It put a huge dent in the whole oil industry that when we went to Houston in, was that 2014? Yes. Uh, so that was eight years ago. That, that industry was so massive. Of course, later on, there was a massive destruction of capital, right. mainly in terms of uh, debt. Uh, there was probably a lot more junk debt issued in the oil patch that a lot of it went to zero. So you'd had this big destruction of capital, you know, which made for economic discipline that had to be superimposed upon the energy industry going into COVID and going into COVID, then you have this uh, blow to the economy, all the shutdowns and the price goes to zero. So it's a perfect storm 
of things that uh, put a horrible crimp in the oil business. Uh, the Saudis have never had to really spend a lot of time on exploration because they know pretty well where the oil is and it's close to the surface. They don't have to do the things that the American industry has to do to find oil. They don't require as much much technology as we do. They don't really do offshore drilling because they don't have to. You know, so consequently, you know, we look for why would you spend all this money like we do to go find oil when Saudi's got it all sitting around? Well, number one, it's not all going to be there forever. They're, they're, they're kind of lazy compared to the people in our business. And if you look at the technology that goes into locating, finding, drawing out, delivering and refining a barrel of oil, you would not make all these comments about the oil industry as being a, a bunch of, you know, rich fat cats. And the, you, you would realize the amount of risk that goes into getting petroleum products. And every barrel of oil that we pull out of American soil, that's a barrel of oil that does not have to come from Saudi or some country overseas. Right. Um, yeah, and America, by and large, is pretty uh, self-sufficient, you know, as far, and it has become more so as far as both oil uh, and gas and many other commodities. Um, but if you were ever able to get regime change in Venezuela, right? I understand they've got more oil than we do. They've, yeah, they do have a lot of oil. Uh, I don't know exactly uh, how much, but they do have a lot of oil. The same goes for even, uh, uh, you know, Mexico has a decent amount of oil. Uh, but again, as you said, you know, the, the oil may exist, but it requires a tremendous amount of capital to get it out of the ground, to transport it, uh, you know, put it on ships, whatever it may be. So, um, you know, uh, one of the, you know, during the previous decade and 2014, when we went to uh, Houston, that was basically the peak of, uh, you know, the oil and gas industry as far as the amount of capital that went into oil prices peaked in 2008 when they hit 147 a barrel. In 2014, they hit 106. But there was so much capital that went into uh, oil and gas after the financial crisis uh, that, you know, uh, for the next eight years, basically, since then, all that capital, you know, slowly started going away. And today we are at a point where, you know, there just isn't enough capital that's going into it. And the reason for that, it's a combination of regulations. B, as the economy slows, as we have COVID, you know, Banks are reluctant to lend that capital. So, in fact, many people, because of ESG, are being told to avoid either lending to or insuring uh, the energy industry. Right, right. And, you know, uh, of course, there, there are, you know, alternative uh, sources of energy. There's, you know, electric cars, and their adoption is increasing, but you know, it's still going to take many, many years before, you know, uh, the reliance on oil and gas uh, decreases. So I, I think all of a sudden there's a realization that, yes, we 
you know yeah i mean you know oil is perhaps uh the use of oil is perhaps going to decline over time but that doesn't mean that you know there is no immediate need for that oil and gas what's uh, funny is that you know coal was basically a, a relic commodity almost it seemed like or it was becoming that way but coal prices have you know gone through the roof here recently um and germany is starting to use coal again in their power plants uh just because they have no other alternative so i i think uh you know there is a growing realization that you know there is a balance between you know new technologies and you know uh new sources of fuel versus uh you know how long it's going to take before uh, we'll be able to completely use uh, those new sources of fuel yeah i mean nobody ever talks about nuclear but nuclear can be contained in ways that maybe make it a lot safer than a lot of other things and you know it could solve a lot of problems so uh you know that's that's a thing that just hasn't been explored very much uh i'd like to talk a little bit about you know the the refiners uh in this equation the refiners are different than people think oil company they think oil company now you have big companies that are what are called integrated oil companies the big 3 that come to mind shell exxon and bp uh there are others but those are the sort of the big 3 which means they are in all the businesses uh of the oil and energy business they they uh explore and produce oil and gas they transport it via pipeline and they refine it and 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 turn it into uh the finished product whether it be gasoline diesel kerosene jet fuel you name it kerosene and jet fuel are pretty much the same thing so those are refined products now you know i happen to believe that we don't have a problem really with the upstream part i mean we can get more oil it's available I think where you're seeing the big problem right now today is in the downstream part. Uh, we just saw oil go up almost a dollar or 70 cents a gallon in the last week or two. And the oil crude oil prices really didn't go up. So that tells me one of two things. There's a bottleneck at the refiners or there's actually price gouging going on, which I would believe and it's not coming from crude oil producers it's coming on the marketing and refining end of things right yeah so and you're right yes it has to be one of those two reasons uh and uh i, I don't know he always i mean, agrees with me no 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 i would never say that yeah i i don't know if there's i'm just joking it was <laughs> it was it's it's me kidding okay but no i but i mean you, logically what that, else that would, would it be yes exactly so i mean i don't know what else it would be yes i mean logically that is the only conclusion um so i mean the question is you know is some of it got to do with you know there were in uh inventories from when oil prices were lower uh 
Right. And now the new inventory, which is being refined, is from when oil prices were, high, you know, were over a hundred, hundred fifteen. So, but it, but does it? It doesn't. Yeah, I know what you're saying, but I think it gets used quicker than that. I mean, it gets out there on the market. That, yeah, that's so. what I would think. I don't uh, think it's. There's not a lot of oil stored for like a month or two or three that right. now is getting refined. That right, and and I think they market to market every day, also probably. So it's going right. to go into the system at the high price. Right. So if they make a profit on the, you know, holding of the oil on the crude, then I don't think that goes to the refiner. I think he has to buy it at the whatever the price it's trading at at that day, even if it's internal right. within the company. But you look at some pure refiners. So who are some of those? Well, Phillips 66 is a big refiner. Uh, the company that's got uh, the symbol D-I-N-O. Uh, HF Sinclair. Yeah. So that's Sinclair and Holly uh, Frontier. Frontier. Uh, you got Hess. Hess, right. Valero, VLO. These are refiners. These are people that don't really, they're not really in the crude oil business. They're not really in the pipeline business. They're in the business of calculating based on your market what the most efficient and profitable use of a uh, of a barrel of crude oil is you know do we convert it into diesel do we make uh, gasoline do we make uh, you know what do we make right i mean and that's a good business if gasoline prices are high and oil prices aren't really going up much i understand that the refiners, pure refiners, are making record spreads. Yeah, and so do they have constraints, you know, uh, refining constraints where refining capacity is... uh, Yeah. uh, Because some of the refined products were also exported outside the country. So is there a greater demand for these products where they are able to get, you know, a premium price? But I can imagine that this is... a major political issue especially if there is price gouging going on so uh, i don't know if there's if you know there are laws that would prevent that but uh uh yeah i mean you know every business you know the crude oil anything to do in the oil space it was it was just rough for the last 8 years and now you know all these forces have come together and the uh, entire industry seems to d- be doing well uh but, uh, you know, over the last decade, the best performing stocks uh, and all the capital went into, you know, your new economy, your tech stocks. The When you look at the S&P 500, the largest stocks by market cap were tech stocks. Uh, if you look at the largest ca- stocks by market cap in the previous decade, you know, you uh, there were stocks like ExxonMobil and Walmart. Um so when there is a shortage of capital that goes into you know right. areas uh, there are these uh, shortages created and, and if they think everything's going to electric cars right. why would you invest in a refinery right now right exactly right somebody's got to see that it's not going to be all that right and see that there's going to be a future for combustion engines which i believe in but a lot of people don't 
All right, that's a wrap for this week. You've been listening to the Tom Dupree Show with the Darsh Mashru. If you want us to take a look at your portfolio, give us a call, 859-233-0400. It never hurts to have another set of eyes, and we'd love to have the opportunity to take a look. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.